Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Galaxy's Most Retro Futurist Podcast. That's right, it's Legion of Superheroes versus Strange New Worlds. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. We are a part of Uncanny Treks. Today, we're talking about Legion of Superheroes and Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 4. So that would be Memento Mori for Strange New Worlds, which originally aired on the 26th of May, 2021, and Phantoms for uh, Legion of Superheroes, which originally aired on the 4th of November, 2006. How you doing tonight, Matt? Doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, I kind of enjoyed this uh, Legion of Superheroes episode, Bob. It was, it was pretty entertaining. So it's growing on you? It's growing on me for sure, yeah. Would you say this has been your favorite one so far, or...? Probably, yeah, and uh, I do find that when I'm watching it, I have to kind of remember that I'm, since we're also doing the other podcast with uh, Young Justice, sometimes it's hard for me to like balance and remember like which, you know, I guess universe I'm in. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) No, it does, it does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of relatively new uh, heroes, I guess more in Legion than in Young Justice to, uh, to have you balanced names, powers, that type of stuff. Right, yeah, because I'm really not familiar with any of the Legion Legionnaires, but I'm getting there. I'm starting to understand what they do. And if you want to see Matt puzzle through Young Justice, join us at patreon.com for uh, our X-Men 92 versus Young Justice show. All right, so in the A-plot of Phantoms, Bob, in an attempt to reconnect with his past, Superboy, again, visits the Superman Museum and accidentally releases Drax Zod from the Phantom Zone. Have I ever told you about an ex's theory um, that, again, is the most pathos-laden word in the English language? No? Yeah, she she always said that, like, if you say again after something, that has the potential to create the most, like, pathos and sorrow. Like, the example is there's a famous, uh, there's a famous screenshot of a Facebook argument where someone is just like, I just don't know what to do with Jesus. He's just so hard to handle right now. And then a very helpful commenter is just like, well, you know, Jesus gives us a lot, but he never gives us more than we can handle. And if you pray about it and work through it, it'll be okay. And then the original poster replies, no, I mean my son, Jesus. He just got suspended from school for punching the janitor again. Uh, wow. <laughs> I'm just glad we say again and not again. I can't even I can't even say it the wrong way. Again, again. you ever heard people say it like, Again, again, again. I, I can't even do it, but some people say it in a way that it just drives me nuts. Again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. <laughs> Take out that second A, I guess. Yes, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so while he's at the Superman Museum, Superboy meets this young alien who, uh, and I really wanted to have a scene where the young alien thought he was Superman and Superboy accused him of speciesism for saying that all humans look alike. That would have been amusing to me. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Bob. If you go, if you were to go to the Superman museum, would you, did it seem very impressive to you or did it just seem kind of boring? Um, well, so if I were a civilian, I probably wouldn't be impressed, but I will say I did sort of like the comic, all the comic art style pictures of Superman. That kind of spoke to me as somebody who, you know, really enjoys comic art. But yeah, no, if I were a civilian, probably I wouldn't be that impressed. Yeah, it didn't really, it really almost seemed like just an exhibit, not an actual full, like, museum. Uh, you know, it had the we one statue. We only really see, like, one room, yeah. Yeah, it had one statue and a bunch of, like, the, like you said, the paintings. 
I mean, if we wanted to accuse Superman of narcissism, we could point out that the Fortress of Solitude is like a much more impressive museum than the Superman Museum. Yeah, but I mean, that, that's like all the stuff dedicated to his culture. So at least it, there's more to it than just, you know. Yeah, it's more, of a, it's more of a museum to Krypton than a museum to him, which is, yeah, it's an interesting distinction. I had really I wasn't really thinking about that explicitly. I guess we do get some sense of why the Superman Museum might be considered lame. Because it's, you know, quote, based only on myths and legends that are left over after the Great Crisis, unquote. So, do we ever find out what this Great Crisis was, Bob? And does it involve the death of someone's loved one? And is the villain a former hero or a friend? Because, you know, that's how all the crises work in uh, DC Comics. It's always possible because it's been five to eight years since I've seen the show. So, it's always possible I'm forgetting something. But I'm going to say no, you never find out anything more about the Great Crisis. Oh, that's lame. And like in actual in the comics, I don't think they usually tend to emphasize like the 30th century not understanding the 20th or the 21st century as much as they do here. Like sometimes they'll they'll mention some disasters. Like there's a talk of I think a World War Eight in the 27th century in the 70s, and then in the most recent incarnation of the Legion. They've like tried to put it in the same timeline as some other um, some other DC future stuff where there are disasters. So there's sometimes are disasters in between now and then, but I don't usually think they stress the gap and like and like the the then's lack of knowledge of the now quite so much. Just from my own brain here, like uh, let me think about this. Let's, let's, let's name some of these crises for a second. You've got infinite crisis. Identity crisis, crisis on infinite earths. Crisis on infinite earths. The new uh, one is dark crisis. Dark crisis. Is there? What would you count zero hours a crisis? It was subtitled a crisis in time. Crisis in times. Okay, I think we got it. Yeah. I think we got them all. I can't think of any more. So yeah. Well, um, I mean, this final crisis. Final crisis. And then, which should have been the last one. It's <laughs> the <laughs> Well, I mean, well, you had all, infinite, you had infinite crisis, so like, I mean, it, it doesn't really. Yeah. You can't, how can you have a final crisis when there's an infinite crisis? But well, it, and then the name comes from the the Justice League Justice Society team ups, um, which got collected uh, under the name like Crisis on Multiple Earths, and so usually they'd be titled something like you know Crisis on Earth Two or Crisis, oh, on, crisis Earth on Multiple Earths. Okay, so yeah. so far I'm at Earth Seven, Bob. So in our lifetime, Bob. As millennials, we have experienced seven crises. This is hard. This is hard on us. It's a, it's a lot of crises. <laughs> I, there, well, there's also an argument, too, that that would say that any DC crossover should count as a crisis. So things like Legends or Millennium uh, should technically count as a crisis, according to some people. Oh. Um, and I think sometimes in the comics, they're like referred to as like, as like a crisis. And then even if you wanted to be hardline and say... No, no, not all of the line-wide crossovers count. You could also make a case that, even though I don't really like them, but you could make a case that metal and death metal should be considered crises. Yeah, they were pretty bad, so yeah, I would probably count those too. So it just gets crazy. Like, why would you even want to live in, like, the DCEU? Like, the suicide rates must be incredible for, like, the regular people there. <laughs> Have you ever read uh, the comic Astro City? No, huh? It's fun. I've, I haven't read all of it, but it, there's a famous there's a famous if I'm remembering right one shot where it, like the the gimmick of Astro City is like it's you know quote unquote more like realistic superhero stories in a different slightly different universe that DC used to publish. And in one of the standalone issues, you have just like the story of like a civilian who, whose reality gets rewritten. In um, you know the latest universe altering crisis, and uh, no one remembers his wife but him, and it's just like a really sad story. That is super sad. I don't want to read that. Right. <laughs> Going back to something not as sad, let's talk. We we get we found out about Superman in this museum because none other than Brainiac Five is watching Superboy in the museum from his surveillance room, probably jerking it a little bit. Um, I'm starting to think you're right about the thirst, Bob. 
Yeah, man. Uh, Brainy's watching Superboy awfully, awfully close. <laughs> Even Saturn Girl's like, you need to quit doing that. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe Bob was right last last episode. Uh, start, starting to see it more so. Uh, did you expect there to be some sort of connection made between Phantom Girl and the Phantom Zone projector, which, you know, we see that Superman uh, stumbles on in the museum and inadvertently lets um, good old Draxod out of? I mean, I thought so. It's in the name, you know, and everything with Phantom, but it, it kind of does because they have to use Phantom Girl's powers to get out of the Phantom Zone. And that, to me, maybe felt like it made me feel like there was some sort of connection I don't know. Maybe I guess because they're all intangible at some point, or uh, I didn't. Yeah. I don't quite understand how the Phantom Zone in this in this universe in this particular show works. Because I thought once they would have ended up in the Phantom Zone, they would have been turned into phantoms. But you can come back out usually, right? But I just don't. But that's through the projector. But the projector was destroyed, so I, I don't know. I, I I couldn't quite. There wasn't really enough time for them to go deep into that. It was more like. Let's just kick some ass in the Phantom Zone and then get out. The way Phantom Girl's powers work is that she can like both phase through things and she can also phase through dimensions. Like usually her home planet is like depicted as being in another dimension. Okay. And so um, I, I think in most versions that's not the Phantom Zone. It's a third dimension. Her, her home planet's called Bixel. Um, which no no connection to Mister Mixel Mixel's Pimulic, as far as I know too, but um, it, like weird. in in this and in Young Justice, she's still shown to be able to manipulate the Phantom Zone to some extent. And then, if I'm remembering right, in the '80s comic, she's like a pr- she's actually like affirmatively really comfortable in the Phantom Zone. Yeah, I don't think anybody should really be comfortable in the Phantom Zone. That that looked like hell. <laughs> well, it's also interesting because in the comics she mostly dates a guy named mon l who if you wanted to be like really unkind uh you could say you know he's just bootleg superboy but the cool thing about mon l is that he originally appears like in the 20th century superboy comics and then he accidentally gets lead poisoning because he's from he's from a similar planet that's related to krypton but on there it's not kryptonite that's deadly to them it's lead so he accidentally gets lead poisoning, and so Superboy has to put him in the Phantom Zone so he doesn't die. And he stays in the zone for a thousand years until the Legion gets him out. Oh, wow. That sucks to be him. Yeah. Well, and then there's another amazing Mark Wade story where like, he goes back in time to the 20th century, becomes a hero in the 20th century, and then has to do another thousand years in the zone. This sounds like some like 90s love song or some shit. Like... I would wait a thousand years for you. <laughs> and then I'd wait a thousand more, some shit like that. I mean, I, I don't know. So the main villain in this, Bob, is Drax. He does get out of the Phantom Zone. His, he re- he's related to General Zod. I kind of picked up on that. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like later later in the episode, we see like a cameo of uh, General Drew Zod. And then you also, yeah, like, like you said, we see a cameo of Doomsday. Yeah, and that's the weird thing. Like, they're, I mean, he, they must have thrown a bunch of villains into the Phantom Zones like Superman did in the past. It's interesting to see these villains that, you know, Superboy eventually takes care of in the Phantom Zone. A lot of them. Like, you know, he fought he fought Doomsday, probably threw him in there at some point. But yeah. we're in the future. So it's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I, I think that's been the. I'm not a super expert on this by any means, but my impression is that later in the comics. The impression has been, to, or the motive has been to tie Doomsday into Kryptonian stuff. Right. And so it, it makes sense to put him in the zone like you would General Zod and the other the others. Yeah, a lot of the more recent origin type stuff I think has tried to make him more Kryptonian than the original uh, Hunter Prey uh, idea of the, the planet that continually, where he was a continually evolving being. But eventually just evolved so far that he could no longer be contained. And that's why he, you know, roams and can't die. Yeah, yeah. Just to jump ahead since you made the Hunter Prey connection. Uh, did you like the scene of Superboy tooling up with the alien weaponry? Yeah, dude looked just like Hunter Prey Superboy or Superman. But also it gave me a, a shit, Rob Layfield vibes. Yeah, he had yeah. like so many damn guns. 
too yeah. many guns and only two hands. I mean, really, like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, he's super, he's super boy. He can hold two guns in one hand if he needs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the Rob gets a lot of hate, and he really does seem to be a somewhat repellent human being online. But I, I, I actually sort of, I, I sort of have a soft spot for the guy. I sort of, I enjoy his stuff. So, Sally, he's like one of the only artists I actually know the name of. So, it's you and Jim Lee, man. You and Jim Lee. <laughs> oh man, that's I, I much, I much prefer the Rob to Lee. Um, well, I mean, and, I know their name. I'm just saying, I know their names. Yeah. I don't know, and I know their art. That's about it. That, that's an idea for when we when we finish recap podcast, we do like. Bob tries to get Matt to look closer at art podcasts. Although I'm not, I don't have a great eye for comics art either, so I don't want to like pull myself up. This is a comic art appreciation podcast. That sounds like some PBS type shit, Bob. <laughs> Join us on public television for art appreci- comic art appreciation with Matt and Bob. I'm going to beat the appreciation of Kelly Jones into you, son. <laughs> I mean, I I know I know what Kelly. Okay, yeah, I know Kelly I know, Jones, I know, I know. but I don't have the. If I saw a picture, I would be like, "Oh, that's Kelly Jones." That's it. I I wouldn't know. I yeah, I would of yeah, course. You would. I mean, you I, would know because if it were a Batman costume, the ears would be a mile long and it would be glorious. That's how I'm with Jim Lee, though. Like I know everything Jim Lee does because I know exactly what that Batman looks like because that's the one they use for everything in the early aughts. <laughs> I mean, so the- I did want to make another point that I was a little, so I was a little intrigued. I'd forgotten about this, but we have not only Draxod, but we have his two like evil crypto, uh, evil cryptos, evil super dogs, uh, Comet and Cupid. And I was thinking, I guess that's the first time we've ever seen evil super pets in DC or maybe at least it's the first time I can think of that there's been evil super pets. Yeah. I guess you're not counting like Harley Quinn's hyenas. I I had forgotten about Harley's hyenas, and they are great. But do they really count as super? No, but I do want to say this, Bob. You know they're coming up with a movie called like Super Pets or some shit with like The Rock. And I, there's been I a cartoon called There was a cartoon called Crypto the Super Dog that came out not too long ago. So there may have been evil pets in that shit too. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I might watch that too. Yeah. yeah, you can watch that one and give me a, a review of it. I don't think I can watch that without. I might watch it. With, I might watch it like you know because I, I work. I work with kids. I might watch it with them. You know, be like, hey, yeah, it's super pets, and then go on this podcast and be like, it's fucking stupid super pet movie. <laughs> well, the other advantage of the evil super pets was they gave the rest of the legion something to mix it up with, while Superboy and um, and Zod fought. So that was that was appreciated. Like when they're out, when they are fighting, you mentioned they were fighting both the the super pets. Saturn Girl has this telepathic ability to like make the Legion look like a monster, or also make herself look like a monster, but can't actually attack with it. Uh, she just kind of like scares them away. Is that like part of her thing to have these? Yeah, I mean, she's she's as far as I know, she's just like a telepath, and there's nothing like particularly. I don't think there's anything particularly special about her style of telepathy, although. I mean, probably her telepathy has not been shown to be like as versatile as like members of the X Men's telepathy, right? Which, where I, I think you know you have so many telepaths on the X Men, it gets it gets uh, emphasized a lot more. So I think you see it to be a lot more versatile than like Saturn Girls, where it's more taken for granted. Yeah, and then with Phantom Girl, she gave me real Nightcrawler vibes because she kept like vanishing in and out between doing her kicks. It reminded yeah, me of that opening yeah. scene of X-Men 2. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting because, yeah, you'd usually think uh, to compare her to uh, Shadowcat. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I can see the Nightcrawler connection, too, especially with the slightly alien look she has here in Young Justice. There, yeah. There is an amazing piece of fan art that sometimes circulates online that um, somebody drew Kitty Pride and Phantom Girl doing karaoke together. And, uh, of course, they're singing I'm an Immaterial Girl. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see that, but I really don't want to type Phantom Girl and or, uh, Phantom Girl and Kitty Pride into a search engine. That probably would put me on some list somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is, is Phantom Girl's mom president of the galaxy? That's mentioned during the fight. Yes, although like I guess if you wanted to get technical, that it would be president of the United Planets. President of the United Planets. Oh, yeah. there's a little Star Trek it's, connection kind of there. 
<laughs> yeah, U P versus U F P. Okay, um, Bob, I, honestly, I don't want to spoil. Don't don't spoil. The, I guess I'll just let you spoil this for me. But is Phantom Girl's mom Stacey Abrams? Oh, I I'll just go ahead and say yes. Okay, so Stacey Abrams is Phantom Girl's mom. Okay, <laughs> she still doesn't have I my actually, vote. She doesn't have my vote yet. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Just uh, just stepping into the problematic territory. I don't know it. As much as I as much as I hate Stacey Abrams, I might vote for her if I lived in Georgia. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure if the if the United Planets or the United Federation of Planets came first is a name. And then you have the Science Police, which I haven't mentioned yet before in the podcast, but I've heard the name a lot. But in this one, we really get to see them in action and doing their shit and stuff. And they don't like the Legion, and they call them like freaks. Yeah, kind of almost like yeah. the, I feel like the, this is like the X Men. Yeah, which is not really the case in most of the comics versions. Usually the Legion and the Science Police get along fine. Well, see, that's what I thought, because the Legion has, like, its own building with its own little sign on it, you know, that says Legion. It's not the X-Men where they're hiding away somewhere. So it it, it, it was interesting to, to see that dynamic. In some versions, they sort of emphasize the Science, the science Police being, like, the, dis, the institutional descendant of the Metropolis Special Crimes Task Force. Yeah. Well, in this episode, they were all kind of alien-looking, too. There were no... You know, I didn't see a lot of human science police. They all had, like, faces that were, you know, strange-looking. I don't know how to explain it. Different colors, pink and purple and red. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's interesting. I, I haven't paid close attention to that, but I think you're right. That's an interesting connection. Did you have uh, thoughts on Brainiac 5 uh, trying to use Kryptonaut um, Draxod and not working... And then uh, him not telling Superboy about it. Well, I mean, I guess Drax must have got like a kryptonite vaccine while in the Phantom Zone, because he he's a, apparently kryptonite doesn't work on him. Um, I'm assuming Brainiac has kryptonite hidden away, so he can get Superboy in that vulnerable position that he needs to be in to you know. Oh man, that's creepy. That's creepy. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird. And then I will say that. You know, as that fight continues with Drax, Brainiac switches over to this armor form, which looks way cooler than Brainiac's actual form. Which he should oh, probably I hard, just. I hard, I hard disagree with that. Oh, I wish he'd stick in the iron. I stay in the damn iron armor form, but just make him like regular sized, and he'd be good to go. Yeah, no, hard, hard disagree yeah. with that, that looking cool. But yeah, I, I it, thought it. I don't know, Bob. I, I, I don't know. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was pretty, way better than what he does now. Like I don't. I can't dig the way he looks in this in this show. But then I've never really liked the way he looked. Like I've seen the character before, you know, throughout reading comics, and I always thought it was just weird with the blonde hair and the brainiac look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's the yeah, hair. It, I think it's the hair that throws me off. I think that's what it is. So if he were bald, you would be fine with it? I think I think so. I think I would like the character more. Not because I'm bald, but because I think I just like the character more, just in general. It's, it's just weird to see Brainiac with I, hair. Representation and relatability is important in media, man. It's important. It's important that you see your bald, paunchy self. Yeah, I gotta have that, that look. <laughs> I will say it is pretty remarkable that, I mean, he, he's not as powerful as a Kryptonian in his armor form, but he he does. He does seem to be like pretty close to there, so that's pretty surprising. Yeah. So Brainiac mentions Computo. I, maybe he has in prior episodes. I can't remember. But um, have you ever heard of Computo before? I've never heard of Computo. Not a clue what that is. Okay, that that might be significant later. Computo. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, let's see. I, oh, a couple other things I wanted to say. So we see Brainy use its force field to get people out of the zone along with Phantom Girl's um, phasing powers. And in the Silver Age and the Bronze Age, uh, more in the Bronze Age, actually, like Brainy's like signature thing is his force field. It's like, you know, he like invents it for himself and uses it a lot. So it's, that's a kind of interesting callback. Um, yeah, the armor form, I think, is something the cartoon came up with. I don't think it uh, has any precedent in the comics. And then I did enjoy that in both of these shows, we've seen Spock and Brainiac get called out for their obsession with deadlines. <laughs> yeah, they, they do point that out at one point. So did you like Gothy Younger Zod? 
I like his costume design. I like the accent and everything. That was pretty cool. Okay. Okay. What was the accent? Was it kind of like Australian? I think so. It was yeah. It was Australian sounding. Okay. Maybe they got the okay. same guy from uh, Pride of the X Men. <laughs> it's the only the Australian. One, only Australian yeah. I know. <laughs> one Australian. <laughs> um, yeah. And another thing I hadn't remembered about the show, but it's kind of interesting, is at this point it's pretty much just split the difference between Legion villains and um, and Superman villains. So we have the Fatal Five and Timberwolf's dad in the first two episodes, but then but then we have like Lex Luthor's uh, descendant Alexis, and then we now have uh, Draxod's you know, the son of Druzod. So it's kind of interesting how they've kind of do it half and half like Superman and Legion does. Yeah. So what do recent incarnations of the Legion look like as far as villains go? Well, I mean, the challenge there is that there's, there's not too many recent incarnations because they, they stopped publishing Legion comics around 2013, 2014, uh, and then, with a couple of exceptions, they haven't had an on. They didn't have an ongoing until Bendis brought them back a couple of years ago. And um, ben, when Bendis uh, brought them back, he he did start tying the Legion closer into Zod stuff, which is also something that's been done on the Young Justice show. So that's actually becoming more common now. But like when the when the cartoon came out in two thousand six, it wasn't that common. Um, so, like, big Legion villains would be, like, the Time Trapper, Mordu, uh, the Fatal Five, um, Pulsar Stargrave, and then, um, interestingly, they do tend to sometimes pick up regular DC villains, so, like, the first big Dark Side appearance that wasn't, like, in a Fourth World book was when he fought the Legion in the Great Darkness Saga, it's really cool, um, and it's actually, it's supposed to be a surprise, but with the way they market the trades, Darkseid is always on the cover now, so it's never a surprise. And then um, there's a really cool run in the early odds where they fight Rayshon Gold. Oh, okay. So like, let's say, just for the listeners, if you wanted me to read a, a Legion comics and you wanted me to jump in at some point where I would just love it and have to get more and more what would be the ideal place to jump in and read legion um so it's kind of a hard question in some ways um so like I, know, I know there's all this like multi-universe stuff with like you know they yeah. all like yeah and all that crap but like if, if so i wanted a great legion run that i could just get hooked on what um, would it be i i think the best I think the best like thing to hand somebody and get a modern reader into the Legion is uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank's Superman and Legion, which came out like 2008 or so, and is really good, really accessible. Like reintroduces the team, uh, it's great. But the problem is, is it doesn't like lead to anything better. So like you would lead, you would read that, and you would get like a great sense of the Legion. But then I wouldn't really recommend you like keep reading the Legion comics that came after it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just want to read that run or that arc. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I some other some other jumping on points I would recommend. Um, I mean, I think if you like Silver Age wackiness, you should just start at the beginning. The beginning's really fun. Um, if you don't like Silver Age wackiness as much, um, you could jump on in the mid '60s when Jim Shooter takes over, um, and that's with like the there's a collection called the Life and Death of Pharaoh Lad that's that like introduces the Fatal Five. It shows I believe the first Legion to get Legionnaire to get killed in action. Um, it's it, it introduces the Sun Eater. It's a it's a really cool um, really cool run. Um, you could also jump in in the early '70s with the Great Darkness Saga. And you could read the Great Darkness Saga, um, you know, up, and that's like that's like probably the best Legion stuff right there. All that, all that's the first version. The second version of the team is good, but in some ways, the second version of the team, which starts in the mid '90s, is kind of just like Ultimate Legion. So they're like retelling a lot of the Silver Age and Bronze Age stories, but in a modern way. 
And so it's fine, but maybe it also depends on you knowing a little bit about what the Legion already is. I mean, it wouldn't have to, but it sort of makes it better. But you could jump on in the mid-90s when the Legion reboots. That During that second run is also when they fight Rayshaw Ghoul, eventually. Some people like the third run of the Legion. I don't particularly love it. Um, and then uh, the the fourth version of the Legion is the is the Bendis stuff that started a couple of years ago, which is fine. I don't think it's amazing, but it's fine. It's not bad, but it's not like it's not like I, I don't think it would like cultivate a lifelong love of the Legion. No. Yeah, so there you have it, listeners. Now you know if you enjoyed this you know cartoon, you may want to jump into the comics. Thanks, Bob. No problem. No problem. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of depressing because I love this team so much, but then it's like, oh, where where should you get in? And it's like, well, there's multiple places. All of them have downsides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 not easy just to jump into comics at this point when there's so much history uh, with this team. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. So, I guess we all all we have left is Thirst Watch, right? Yeah. So you know. There's a lot of... The only thirst I recognize in this, Bob, is that Brainiac 5 totally stalking Superboy at the museum. He's definitely thirsty for Superboy. You didn't detect a little thirst in Timberwolf and uh, and Phantom Girl squabbling? And maybe. It's like... I got like Han Solo Princess Leia vibes from that shit. Probably because he called her a princess. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that does make it rather literal, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I will note that apparently in a Freudian slip in the notes, I put Phantom Lad instead of Phantom Girl, so there's that. Oh, so is Phantom, is Phantom Girl really a dude? Uh, no, I, I, okay. it just in my tendency to do a lot of uh, same-sex shipping, I just uh, unconsciously remade it. Um, all right, so uh, do, you have a, uh, do you have a favorite non-Superboy Legionnaire this week? Yeah, I'll go with Phantom Girl. I really like just her power set in this and how she, uh, we learned a little bit about her as far as her mom being the, the president. And I, I did I did kind of see some of the Timberwolf stuff going on there. I feel like she developed more in this episode. I will say this, though. We haven't seen Triplicate Girl since the first episode. What's up with her? Where'd she go? Uh, I think she'll be back. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. She'll, she'll, she'll be around. But yeah, she of the, of the main cast... She's probably the one that's around the least, if, I, if my memory is correct. All right, shall we move over to uh, Memento Mori for Strange New Worlds? Sure. So, in the A plot of Strange New Worlds, Memento Mori, during a Gorn ambush on the Enterprise, Nudian Singh must search for her childhood memories of her Gorn captivity in Spock's mind meld. Uhura must be a wounded hemmer's hands and repairs. Chapel has to get old school and surgery on number one. And Pike and Ortegas come up with a miraculous Pike maneuver. Yeah, yeah. So I guess to start at the start, uh, did the name SS Puget Sound give you SS Botany Bay vibes? I mean, that's what they were going for because that was the, the that was the ship that Nudie and Singh was on. So I, yeah, I got the yeah. same same yeah. I, it gave me the same vibes. I almost thought like that maybe those ships were in the same like fleet or something like that. Yeah, I think it's more. It more has to do with like they're both being colony ships more than like there being like a specifically Nudian scene connection. But yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. it's, it's just it's it's the SS is what did it. Yeah, and then so we've uh, we've talked about being impressed with Himmer uh, before, uh, and I meant to look up the actor, uh, and I did, and so like with most of the rest of the cast, except for the people we'd already met on Disco and for Mabinga. Um, the actor playing him or hasn't really been in very much at all. I, I would say this is actually probably his first major role. He just has a couple of, like, I think he was like in a short film and he was in like one episode of a, of a sci-fi original show. So really his first like big major acting role. Yeah, that's incredible because he's really good at it. You know, he's, he's quickly becoming one of the better characters on this show. Yeah, yeah. And they do a really good dynamic with, they continue the him and Uhura relationship. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good dynamic. I kind of hope Uhura does a rotation in uh, Sick Bay next. I'd kind of be amused to see her in Chapel squabble a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate them actually showing us that, like, the cadets have to learn all the different specializations for choosing one to focus on. Uh, that makes sense because you never know when somebody's going to be down and you have to kind of take their spot and do what they didn't do. 
Uh, I mean, you yeah. kind of see that sometimes in the workforce, but really you don't. So we have this cargo vessel that the Enterprise is rescuing, which, I, and this will be the first of several times I say this episode, I really liked the design. It had a kind of cool nacelle placement. Um, did you expect the way they were playing the cargo vessel, though? Did you expect it to be a trap? Yeah, I was like waiting for somebody to jump out and kill them or try to take them, kid, uh, capture them or something, but it didn't happen. Did you did you expect it to be the Gorn, or were you thinking it would be some other uh, species? Okay, I, I kind of did, but then I remembered, you can correct me if I'm wrong, when Kirk meets the Gorn, is that not like the first time they actually like interact with the species? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the first time they meet face-to-face. That's, which... okay, see, so that, yeah. that that's why I was like not looking for it. Like, I, when, I, when, I, when that happened, I remembered that that was, that was true, so... Although they, yeah. they've been like really careful about playing that up in Strange New Worlds, where it seems like even though Noonien Singh has like firsthand experience with the Gorn and maybe some other people do too, they're they're sort of treating that as like unconfirmed, you know? Right. And that's why we only see their ships in this and not an actual Gorn. Yeah, which is ironic too, because we don't see an actual Gorn in this, but we see their ships. Whereas in um, the original series episode, we see the Gorn, but we really don't see the ship, as I recall. It's just like a, a big uh, red dot, as I, if I recall yeah. that episode correctly. Right. So it's, it's in, but I will say the ships are really cool in this episode. They've done a great job with ship design overall with this whole series so far. Well, it's an interesting contrast to like the styles you see for like Klingon and Romulan and and Starfleet vessels, right? Where it seems to be, they have a lot of, it's, it's, I guess it's kind of Jemadar-like in that they have a lot of smaller fighters, but they're a lot more partially, you know, because the CGI is better, but they're a lot more dynamic than the Jemadar fighters. And they have a kind of interesting, like three-dimensional design than I feel like the Jemadar fighters have. Yeah, kind of a pull from Babylon 5, but they kind of remind me of the fighters in that just a little bit. Just oh, the way yeah, they... yeah. With how quick they move and the agility and how they can rotate within the space. Like, you never see the Enterprise rotate, you know, 90 degrees. It's always straight up and, you know. Although, they are they are doing a lot more in this show to show, like, the Enterprise being, especially with, like, Ortegas being this kind of, you know, a little bit reckless pilot, although in a good way. They're doing more to show, like, the Enterprise in interesting motion than I feel like. Um, Star Trek shows usually do for their big ships, like even like Discovery and Voyager. I don't feel like did that as much. Yeah, even in the movie, see, like really, you would probably only be able to see that in the movies with budget constraints. Up until this point, you know, yeah, even in the movies, we didn't see that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's just really, really well handled ship ship design all around. I I like the ship design in Discovery, um, and maybe this is wrong, but. I always just felt like the the ship design scenes and the, the ship scenes of Discovery are too quick, and so it's like hard to get like a good impression of the other ships that aren't Disco. Did you have a similar experience with Disco? Yeah, a lot of it's a blur. Honestly, it's just the the effect they're using to blur things. Yeah, yeah. Well, so speaking of Disco, we had a ten and a half minutes before the opening credits in this show, which I think is a record for Strange New Worlds, but. Certainly is not a record for Discovery, which I think has gone something like twenty minutes before <laughs> before triggering the ending credits. Yeah, that is, that's correct. And uh, my uh, Paramount Plus decided to like kick, like boot me out right after the opening credits, so oh, I had to go sorry. back. In, well, I had to go back in and you know fast forward to where I was, and I kept going and going, and I was like, "What the hell? Like, did I miss it?" And then I went back, <laughs> and finally, I was like, "Oh, it's this is ten minutes in." I was like, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> oh man, more more adventures of Paramount Plus. I, I will tell you though that there's a worse streaming service than Paramount Plus. Uh, what it's is AMC Plus? Oh yeah, that's one I don't have. I had to get it for Better Call Saul. And, ooh boy. All right, so we get a lot of good uh, Ortegas one-liners this week. Uh, full impulse into the giant gas cloud of death it was a very charming one, and uh, I also really like space. Really wants us dead. So, uh, good, good episode for Ortegas. Yeah, Ortegas is um, an interesting character. She seems almost like a fighter pilot or navigating a giant starship, yeah. Yeah, she's good. like Tom Paris, but not hateable. Right. <laughs> um, so, we, we already referenced this last week because, uh, you know, we had a lockdown episode last week. 
But um, this week we have uh, video conferencing into <laughs> the officers' meeting. So do you think Strange New Worlds is intentionally trying to give us COVID flashbacks? I think they are. I really do. It's, it's getting kind of annoying. A lot of, a lot of sick people, too. We're spending a lot of time in Med Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I, I think that's just that any time spent in sick bay feels like a, uh, a lot of time since, you know, we don't really have a, a regular doctor character on Discovery or Picard, and there, yeah, you know, there you have uh, you have Nurse Tindy and um, the cat doctor on Lower Decks, but they're not emphasized, and we don't have one on Prodigy either. Right, and you've got two, you got Mbing and Chapel here to kind of yeah, yeah follow on there. Yeah, and like even though you have um, you have Wilson Cruz's character on Disco, I mean, like in the last two seasons, he's been more of a counselor than he's been a doctor. Yeah, um, we do. Uh, I do really enjoy uh, Noonien seeing freaking out about the Gorn. It's good stuff. Um, we, you know, she has this great description of them. Have you ever seen eyes that are dead and hungry at the same time? And then we find out from her conversation with the little girl a little earlier that like a click click is like the telltale sign of the Gorn. Yeah, I did. I I, I didn't go back and rewatch the uh, original series episode, but that is how they speak, right? Oh, I didn't. I didn't or either. Is that um, new? I think that's new. I think that's just supposed to be like a more of a kind of a reptile, like a, a reference to like how Earth reptiles do when they hunt. But maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not an expert on either Earth reptiles, and I haven't seen the, that original Gorn episode in a long time. But I don't think the Gorn creature says anything in Arena, except for maybe he grunts some. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong though. But also they communicate with their ships through light, which I thought was yeah. interesting. Yeah, that was very cool, right? Yeah, that was pretty original. I'm not sure, like, exactly would that factor into, like, reptile physiology and, like, reptile senses exactly, but it, it was a really cool effect, nonetheless. Yeah. Also, uh, yeah, there, one scene, though, that cracked me up was, like, the uh, the journal or whatever that they find that has all the that like decodes the Gorn light Morse code. Basically you see the, you see all the stuff. I like, I don't know how the hell they came up with all that. Well, I mean, I thought it, I thought it made pretty good sense in this scenario. Right? I mean, it, like, it did, it did. It worked for the story, but it was just like, it's kind of like hilarious. Cause if you think about it, like somebody had to come up with that and I don't know if it would be that easy to decode and decipher based on only seeing a couple of Gorn ships. Well, I mean, you know, you well, it's cause it's her brother who came up with it. Right. And he, yeah. presumably, he had a long time. Presumably, they were in the Gorn hatchery for a while. Yeah, getting like, their toes eaten. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> so, presumably, yeah. Pre- presumably, they went for the adults first because they had more meat on them. Right. Yeah, so he had a lot of time to figure out Gorn and Morse code. <laughs> He's just sitting around, like, writing his shit down with, like, little And, a, little, and a baby Gorn is eating yeah. his big toe. He's <laughs> like, no, don't eat my hand. I can't write the, uh, the code out. <laughs> so in the in the I think this was episode one when Nuni and Singh talked about the Gorn. She didn't she emphasize that they were used as like both like food and like breeding sacks. Was that correct? yeah? They were using breeding sacks. Yeah, which is gross. Yeah, so like they were laying eggs inside them. Um, yep. Which in in this episode it, that wasn't emphasized. It was just. It was just the food, or at least that's what I, that's all I picked up from this episode. Yeah, I kind of appreciate that, Star Trek writers. Could you? Uh... Oh man, we got to do a bonus episode where I make you read Bloodchild. No. Yes. No, it's so good. It's so good. What a, I, I I love teaching that story. Although again, I have to be selective about it because uh, you know it, it, time ain't time ain't what it used to be. Man. You know, they solved this problem by having this, uh, you know, there's, there's an astronomical triple threat between a black hole, a brown dwarf star, and a gas cloud bob. They just shove all of them in there at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it, that actually does happen, right? I, with, some, uh, with some of my younger students, I do, like, uh, I do, like, tutoring with, like, reading comprehension. And so we've, we've been reading a lot of science articles, and I was just reading one. And, you know, black holes apparently do tend to attract gas clouds around them with their gravity. That's one of the ways we can see them. 
But um, yeah, so I, I think that is somewhat astronomically accurate, but it's still just kind of hilarious that you have a brown dwarf, a black hole, and a gas cloud all, all together. So many problems to deal with at the same time. It's yeah. Crazy. Well, and it's also, it reminds us of blanking on the name, although we just covered it for Babylon 5 versus Star Trek DS9, but there's that great episode where the Defiant and the Jem'Hadar like go inside the gas giant to fight. Yeah. Yeah, which they were clearly going here for. And for a minute, I was like, wait a minute. Because like, they were talking about like going into a brown dwarf. And I was like, you can't go inside a brown dwarf. But no, no, it's like they're going inside the gas cloud. So it, it actually, I think, was it actually was explained consistently. But it was interesting that they used it in such a way to really create the same vibes as that DS9 episode. Bob about to call them out on their science bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that much about astronomy, so the, the, the chances for me actually to get to call somebody out on their astronomy bullshit are pretty rare. <laughs> yeah. Any other, uh, any other older Star Trek episodes this one give you uh, vibes from besides that DS9 submarine episode? Not really. Uh, I mean, balance I mean I'm sure they're out there, the but one. I just can't think of any off the top of my head that just you know really fit with this. Balance of Terror is the one people have been emphasizing. The uh, that's the uh, what would you say the first Romulan episode in TOS, which also has like big kind of like submarine uh, fight aesthetics. Yeah, some hunt for Red October type shit going on. Yeah, yeah, and so we uh, we watch Kyle having to watch a guy die, which is uh, you know that was sad, and then you know we get a neat scene of Spike comforting Pike after that crew member died. Yeah. You know, I, I know we talked about this in the first episode, Bob, but we haven't seen uh, Sam Kirk again, which I thought he would be a recurring character, but apparently he's not. Well, we saw him in uh, we saw him in the second episode, The Children of the Common. That's the one where he, yeah, we, we saw him at the very end of the first episode. It was like a tease. In the second but episode, he played yeah. a heavy part, and then the third and fourth episode, he hasn't shown up. So that's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, he's still probably going to be a regular part of the show. It doesn't, yeah. you know, not necessarily going to be in every episode. Yeah, but all the other characters have been. Yeah, but like to a lot, like you know, to like different degrees, right? Yeah, I just, I just haven't seen him. It just bothered me. I say this because you <laughs> mentioned that the guy died, and I'm thinking I, I really wish they just would have kept killing Samuel Kirk. That'd be awesome. Like he, he's got a we, Sam Kirk's one that's got to live, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it just makes it more interesting. I think I'll bring him back. They find him like yeah. floating out in space somewhere and just in time to grab him and pull him back in. <laughs> yeah, we get another great chapel line this week where uh, she uh, tells number one, we can take bets on when septic shock sets in. Uh, I hear it's like giving birth through your mouth. <laughs> Gross. <coughs> yeah, yeah, number one is quite disgusted by that, which is uh, yeah. very amusing. And then... Also, the uh, mind meld between Nuni and Singh and Spot gives us an occasion for a nice little Burnham reference. Yeah, they they finally bring up his sister, which, you know, I, I, that's been a big thing on Star Trek. Like, people making fun of that, like, where they never mentioned, Spock's never mentioned his sister before, but then in, the, in this, you know, in the most recent canon here with Strange New Worlds, we're going to, you know, make sure we at least acknowledge that it did happen. Well, and I always thought that, like, if you think like if you think Spock having an unknown sibling is just like hack storytelling, just because it's like hack storytelling to have an unknown sibling, like I can, I'm I'm fine with that. I can respect that position. But if you think that it's um, if you think that it's bad because we never heard of Burnham in the prior canon, I think you're cognitively impaired. Like the entire point of Spock is that he doesn't tell his friends about his personal life. Like there's an episode in the original series where. Kirk and uh, McCoy are surprised to meet his parents. There's, and, you know, Spock doesn't want to tell them that his parents. There's an episode of the original series where Kirk and Spock are very surprised to learn that Spock, sorry, Kirk and McCoy are very surprised to learn that Spock is engaged because he's never mentioned it. Like, that's the well, entire basis of the characters. Like, why would he tell uh, Kirk and McCoy, who he doesn't tell anything about his personal life, about his sister? I mean, exactly. And, not, and even in, like, real life, like, you don't bring up that shit to just, you know, your co-workers all the time. You don't, Yeah. you know, we've done how many episodes of this podcast? Yeah, I may have mentioned my brother, but I've never mentioned my sister. Yes, I have a sister. 
You know, like, who gives a what? shit? What? Matt has a sister? <laughs> what kind of hack writing is this? Yeah. Wait, yeah, it's a hack and cough for hack writing. What kind of hack writing of this podcast is this that in uh, in the third season, or really the fourth season of the podcast, we reveal you have a sister? Yeah. Yeah, it's so <laughs> stupid. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree when people freak out about that kind of stuff, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, it, and that's to not even get started on... Well, Spock never mentioned Cybok either. <laughs> there, there have been those uh, great... Uh, some great fan art, though, that's like the Sarek's family, and so it's like Sarek, Amanda, Spock, Burnham, Cybok, and then the, the pet from the animated series. <laughs> that's, there's been some really good fan art of, of, yeah. of the Sarek family. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think the last bit I had was um, I, I don't remember the Anar's apparent appearance on Enterprise very well, but I think this is the first time they've been like mentioned as pacifist maybe i'm an idiot and maybe they do bring that up in their appearance on enterprise but i i, I didn't remember it if they did so that's a kind of interesting dimension to the characters yeah i don't remember that honestly i did i do remember that episode because that's like one of the only few episodes i think i've watched of enterprise oh okay so you've yeah. seen some of season three and some of season four of enterprise yeah but it was just it was just like random like i don't know when i saw it but i just remember this because i remember the 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 A&Rs. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know you had. I, I knew you'd seen some of the Zindi arc in season three, but I didn't know you'd seen any of season four of Enterprise. Did you yeah. see the Mirror Universe episodes of Enterprise? I think I watched one or I think I watched one of them because I was just interested and in, I wanted to hear the, the theme, oh. how they changed it. Yeah, you you and should totally you should totally because it's like two or three episodes. You should totally rewatch them. That's the best stuff Enterprise ever did. Okay. All right, Bob, so let's move into Character of the Week. For this week, my Character of the Week is Drax. Just liked... The costume design was awesome. I thought he was an interesting villain. A the fun take on Australian accent. Yeah, a fun take on General Zod for the future. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm definitely going to go with uh, Himmer. Uh, this is, I think, the, the week we've gotten the best development for Himmer, and I rather enjoyed it. So, yeah, I was uh, very happy with that. And then what's your episode of the week, Matt? Episode of the week goes to Memento Mori. Uh, just a really great episode that tied in with the original series, looking at the Gorn and you know a lot of you get to see the the whole team in action doing different things. I mean, I, we completely left out the whole part as we were going through this, talking about number one giving the blood transfusion to one of her uh, one of her uh, one of the other officers. You know, there's just everybody had a part to play. And it just, you get that, that, that team feeling, uh, which you can also, which you, which is representative of what you saw in the original series. Actually, I'd say it's more representative of like TNG and DS9. Cause I think, and I, cause I, as much as I like the original series, it was the Kirk, Spock, McCoy show. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you get the, you get the, you get the feeling though, that there's the presence on the ship. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a part and that's how they survive. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And I mean, it's just, I, it's just amazing, like how much more like Star Trek this show feels than any other new Trek show, with the exception of Lower Decks. And again, that's not like I, I'm really happy to have a diverse cast. Uh, if they want to do narrative experiments, I'm happy with it. But it's just Strange New Worlds is working in a way that like Disco, Picard, and Prodigy just don't. I agree. All right. Well, this has been a, a great week for uh, the galaxy's most retro futurist podcast, Legion of Superheroes versus Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. We will see you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>